Are you a podcaster? Maybe you've got that big idea and you're looking for a network to join. The multi-award-winning Ozcast Network can get your content to eyes and ears all over the world. Join now for the first month free, and you could be featuring this sound at the beginning of your podcast. Ozcast. Simply head to ozcastnetwork.com for details. I remember being a kid. I can see that happening. That's oh, always something, something to do. The Unlaced. Unlaced podcast. It's actually not bad. <laughs> and we're live. We're back on the Unlaced podcast, people. I'm pretty excited today, as I always say before I start my episodes. But uh, before we go into the guest and the guest that is, I do just want to thank everyone that's been listening, subscribing, tuning into all the latest episodes. Um, we have a big few weeks coming up with the A-League starting as well and obviously a few more episodes before we come into Christmas. So I'm hoping that we can uh, bring some more cool content to you guys. But this one's a, a little bit unique today because we usually are talking to athletes and today we've got someone a little bit different but very relevant to the athletes and very relevant to the modern day athlete. And I'm going to say probably the hardest guest we pushed to get. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> the longest email thread <laughs> to get Jackie Louder on the show, but I'm glad to say she's here. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Yeah. It should be the big guns that you're having trouble getting. I'm so I know, sorry. You said that in your email. I actually think there was like 40 <laughs> emails between it was close. us. Yeah, it was a it was a long time getting you on, but yeah. um apologies. I'm here now. Yeah, you are. Thank yeah. you. And I know you're a very busy woman and you you've been doing quite a bit, but with your line of work and, and given your line of work, which we'll touch on, you're working with a couple of the major sporting teams in your field, yep. um, particularly in Melbourne. What's the off-season like for, for you in your space? <laughs> Do you have an off-season? No, you, there's, no there's no off-season. Yep. Um, for a whole variety of reasons, you're doing a heap of planning. Um, you never really switch off from caring. So <clears throat> if the athletes need you, they need you. And um, particularly for me with um, with being in AFL and AFLW, um, <clears throat> those seasons basically tail end each other. So when one finishes, the next one starts. So right. by the time we finish all our planning and reviews and everything for an AFL season, we were already into AFLW. Right, true. When when did AFLW start? Is it November, December? Well, it was supposed to be the 3rd of December. Right. Um, but because of COVID, right. they've put it back. So the 6th of January is round one. Okay. Now, for all the listeners out there, that are fascinated, like I am, to find more out about Jackie. Um, are you able to give our listeners a bit of a background about yourself and your line of work specifically? Because I think you will do a better, work, better you know, <laughs> job of that than I potentially can. <laughs> okay. So my job is working as a sports psychologist, but I also have a clinical practice um, through Olympic Park Sports Medicine. And the clubs I'm with at the moment, I'm the club psychologist for Collingwood Footy Club and for Melbourne Storm. Um, and then I consult to a number of different organisations. Tobin Brothers Funerals is, mm -hmm. is one where I look after their staff. Um, I do all the psychology for Tennis Australia for their coaching courses. Um, so that's where I am at the moment. I've probably been doing this for about 20 years, so it seems like such a long time. Um, but I've also got a background in sports science um, as well. Okay. So how did you fall into this? Because like you've just named Collingwood and Melbourne Storm like their airy fairy, the two two of the biggest sporting yeah. teams in the country, really, in in both their regards. But how did you fall into this field, and what shifted you to, I guess, want to work with athletes specifically? Well, I played a lot of sport growing up, okay. so I've always been overachiever, perfectionist. That hasn't really changed. <laughs> that hurts. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, but um, to be really fair, how it all started was. 
I, we used to do athletics and when I was younger, so it was about probably eight or nine, my dad and I used to sit on the hill at Doncaster Athletics Track and watch my sister do the hurdles and she'd always fall at the fourth hurdle. Fourth? And I said to my, <laughs> I said to my dad, he remembers this conversation too, I said to him, that's totally in her head. Like I'm going to help athletes who can't get out of their own head. He wow. remembers this conversation from when I was about nine. And then when I was in year nine, we, I found a course in Ballarat at Ballarat Uni, which is now Federation Uni, where I could do sports psychology and do a human movement sports science course. And I'm like, well, that's it. That's where I'm going. Wow. So never wavered from it pretty much. And then just networked my way through, took every opportunity that I could have, which is probably why I was so busy um, <clears throat> and ended up where I am now. That's insane. So why the fourth hurdle? Did you ever provide know. a reason for that? <laughs> That's you know what? so weird. Out of all the clients I've had, I probably haven't had her as my client. She probably <laughs> just doesn't want to talk about it. You'd think if you can know you can get over the first three, then there's got to be logic to get over the four. Yeah, but if you fall at the fourth once, then that is like a bit of a... Uh, stays. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> she hates that story. Yeah, I bet. It. I would like to hear yeah, that yeah. either about myself. <laughs> um, now, I just have to share how actually... Actually, yeah, I, I do want to share how I came across you because um, pretty much I was watching this four-part documentary of Collingwood, which I think got, did, I'm not going to say it got you famous, but did it? Because like, <laughs> I feel like you were the star of the show. <laughs> I don't feel like that at all because I wasn't, I was a small part of something that was much bigger, um, mm. but not really. Like I've always done, you know, I had a, a show on SEN for like eight years with mm. Craig Harper where we did sports science and I've always done... A lot of media stuff and I love the education side of teaching people how to understand themselves and, and mm. learning. But certainly I think when you attach anything to a big club, mm. you're going to get a lot more publicity and people are going to ask who you are. And I think the other side of that was, um, you know, it, it actually came into the consulting room and right. that took a, a lot of convincing. Yeah, see, that would have been like, because isn't there that sort of, you know, client relationship yeah, well, that was or... driven by Adam. It wasn't driven by me. Right. Okay. Uh, and it took a lot of convincing for me to do it because I'm not comfortable with that. Okay. Um, but he felt for his story that that was a really important thing that he wanted to add in. So, yeah. you know, obviously we were pretty careful with what was said yeah, while yeah. the cameras were in the room and yeah. all that sort of stuff. But um, I think that's what probably made a lot of people really interested in it was because you never get to go inside the room. No, it's Not when the athlete's there. So, yeah, it provided a really genuine and a really personal insight. It was, um, yeah, what Jackie's referring to there was a, a four-part documentary on the Collingwood Football Club. And I think it was based on four different players, yes. right? Yeah. And one of them was obviously Adam Trelaw. And Adam was really open about, you know, the struggles he was having off the field. I mean, one of the most notable things he said was, and I don't know if it was a win or a loss, but it was after a game and he had a good game, but he was just really struggling it was so after much. A win. So, yeah, yeah, it was after a win. The and he, game. he was crying and he was, his kind of way of masking that he was upset was just, you know, in the, they were in the pool and he mm. would just go under, duck underwater. So his, his head would just be wet and it wouldn't really look like he was crying. And I was just like, wow, you know, and, and it really kind of opened up because a lot of athletes can probably relate to it when you see it happening. But for the sort of general people, the fans and everyone seeing that, it was just like quite, um, quite intense yeah quite yeah. quite confronting because you're like he's so good on the field and you don't realize that they're humans offered and the impact that you know the yeah. life of a professional athlete can have so yeah within that you obviously did a bit of work with him and he really sort of credited you for a lot of his success and his, yeah he's his very sort of generous balance. yeah <laughs> yes. so so that was pretty amazing but um 
I mean, are a lot of players from the teams you work with, that, like are a lot of them coming through your door? Is it just sort of? Yeah, most of them. Most really? of them come through the door. And I see players from other clubs and other sports and things as well through my clinic. But um, it's such a big area now. The, the mental side of it. I could obviously always see it years and years ago. Like, but when certainly did it when start like, to come, like, to be, you know, accepted? Because I feel I, I was I had Luke Dunstan on uh, last week, which, um, you know, we were saying, I think when he got drafted, it would have been 2013, 2014. Yeah. It was about my last year of playing professional soccer. And it wasn't really there then. So I think, I think probably the last six or seven years, it started to get a lot more recognition for what it is. Mm. Um, it's now not seen as you only go to see the club psych if you have a problem. It's now very much about performance and just staying on top of life and all of that sort of stuff. Whereas I think before you would get referred to the psychologist if you had a problem. Um, and needed to be fixed, which I okay. hate that terminology because yeah, the yeah. they're not broken. They don't need to be fixed. Yeah. It's just about giving them some skills so that they can perform at their best yeah. um, when they really need to. And that's really a skill everybody needs to have. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, because <laughs> this is what, I, what I've said in a previous podcast. We, we actually have caught up before. We have. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm one of your clients. <laughs> so I'll keep it confidential. Yeah, let's hope so. <laughs> no, but uh, there was a moment and I'll, I'll be transparent because obviously when I was younger, I wanted to be the captain of the Socceroos or play for the Socceroos. And I stopped playing professional soccer when I was 21 and I went to the UK on trial and didn't really make it there. And anyway, three, four years went by and I went through a bit of a rough period accepting it. But I went back for a holiday to see my family. And Manchester United signed this guy, Harry Maguire, who I actually played against when I was younger. And he was my age. And they signed him for like 60, 50, 60 million. Oh, right. And it just, it, euros <laughs> as well, or pounds. Of course. And it just, it hit me then. I'm like, ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> 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 like it, out on the flight home, I'm like, ah, oh, did I make the right call here? <laughs> and so I actually came in and saw you. And one of the things you said to me, which actually still hits home to this day, because I think it's... Um, relatable to anyone that even that's not in sport, but you said something along the lines of like a lot of human beings really focus on training their physical health, but not their mental health. Mm -hmm. What can you explain what you mean by that? Cause there's, I'm sure a lot of depth to that comment. Yeah. Well, every time, if, if you have a look at how we prepare an athlete, there's so much sports science around all their physiology, but you could be the most highly trained athlete but it's what goes on between your ears that makes the biggest difference. Like you make an error, you worry about what the coach is thinking or what your teammates are thinking. Or, you know, if you're going to trials for an Olympic sport, you don't make that by a fingernail. That's yeah. four years. That's come down to one one hundredth of a second. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so preparing yourself for that and thinking about it, what we've just left them in the dark. Mm. And just we assume as people get older, they know themselves better. But that's not always a good thing mm. because if you're not teaching them how to understand themselves then there's no learning there and there's no change mm. there either. And it's, you have physical fitness, you have mental fitness. So every single one of us has physical health. Everyone has mental health, but we've really only focused on one area because I don't think people realize you can focus and, and you can get skills mm. for the other area. What, what would be some like basic measures or skill sets that you would could, could say to anyone that would be some sort of foundations to maybe start building that? Well, I think one of the things we, we always look at is like, you've got to be able, the one person you can't lie to is yourself. Yeah. Right. So. I try if, not to do that. Yeah, do exactly. That a lot. <laughs> but we all, we all do that. Yeah. Right. But you know, I could say to you, you can say, hey, how are you feeling today? I'm like, yeah, good. And I could be yeah. feeling like rubbish. Yeah. But 
I can present like I'm doing amazing. Mm. Um, so you have to be able to go, okay, I have to be honest with myself. When, when you were going through school, did anyone ever teach you how to understand emotions, mm. how to be able to label them correctly, you know, actually describe how you're feeling? Most adults, I, I say, you know, don't have the emotional vocabulary that they need. They use the same five or six words to describe everything. Mm. And there's a real difference between frustrated, angry, irritated, like they're, they're so different. Yeah. So it's giving people sometimes the right dialogue to be able to express to their loved ones or the right people how I'm actually feeling. That's a real skill. Yeah. It's hard for a lot of people, Very including much. myself, yeah. like just to be brutally honest at times. That's why I'm interested as well with, with yourself. Like when you're working with like, for instance, Collingwood and Melbourne Storm, arguably the most masculine kind of men you'll come across in regards to the, the contact sport they play. Like how do you help them to become vulnerable when... I just hug them all. Like, <laughs> <laughs> some of them you do hug. Yeah, I bet there's some of them would want one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Um, I, the approach with, they're still human beings. Mm. So, you know, I think when you build a relationship with somebody, every person that comes into the room, you have to be able to go, my job and my approach is that the smartest person in the room is the athlete, the client, mm -hmm. because the topic is them. Mm. So when I take that approach, it means that I'm not sitting there thinking I need to teach them. I'm having a conversation and they're teaching me about them. Mm. So I'm taking the notes because I'm the one learning. Right. right. So then when I see what they're saying, hear what they're saying and, and I can go, okay, have you looked at it this way? Have you looked? So I just try and really tap into who's in front of me. Yeah. And then as soon as you do that, <clears throat> they know that you're not a fangirl. You're not seeing them because they're whoever, whoever from, you know, Melbourne storm. You're just going, how can I help you to be better at what you want to do? Mm. And so as soon as you do that, it doesn't like, it doesn't change whether they're male or they're female. They're just humans. Yeah. Do you get like a real sense of satisfaction when you see your clients or the, the athletes like overcome some of the big hurdles Amazing. that you know? Yeah. Like what's that like for you? Because no one would really give you any spotlight on that, I imagine. Yeah, but I love being in the background. It's it's so nice and it's so satisfying to, to sit back and you know the journey because mm. you are part of their life and you probably know more things than half their families and their partners because you've got that confidentiality and that trust with them. So it, it's such a privilege to sit in a room with somebody and them unfold their life in front of you, share it with you. And then you sit back and you watch them achieve something that means something to them. Mm. Like, I just love that sitting back feeling yeah, and you be. just, yeah, it's very emotional. I'm a very emotional person. I know how to control it, but yeah, big sook. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Is it hard for you to like separate emotion from your work as well? Because do you have to be objective or can you, you know, be, because you, you've obviously naturally care for some of these guys yeah. you work with for so long. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty expressive. Like I'll always tell them I'm proud of them or like, so that they know they're doing a good job. Um, and I genuinely mean that. Mm. And then if they've got a big occasion or whatever it is, I'm standing in the background cause there's tears. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're you know, like... if, they're, if they're playing a milestone game or, you know, there's a video, someone said something nice. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm a girl. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. So for you, this might be a hard question to answer, but I'm just curious, like, is there like a common, like, are there common sort of challenges that you see within all the athletes or is it very sort of different to the person? Um, well, the issues are probably the, the same in terms of like wanting to get the best out of themselves, whether it's 
anxiety, coping with feedback, coping with media. Like pressure, high intense pressure sort of. Yeah, high intense pressure. Um, You know, you've got to be a high achiever perfectionist. So that's going to come with complications, right? Yeah. Um, So there's definitely commonalities, but the beautiful part of the job is that you're just seeing all these different humans. Like I just, I love my people. Yeah. Like, and I love being part of their lives. I love having them as part of my life. Um, But it's just, yeah, it's such a rewarding job. You just feel like every day, I don't feel like I'm working. I just get to have conversations yeah. with great humans. How does your brain function? Cause you surely have like your, your calendar is super busy as yeah, well. So <laughs> and you've got to, and you've got to be like on for every patient yeah. or client as well. I mean, so do you get tired? Like, cause you're taking a lot of notes. I've been in yeah. there. You, t- <laughs> you wrote a book on me <laughs> and mind you, I must say, I actually never came back cause the consult was enough. I think I just needed to explain to someone. Oh, that's the good I- self. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, um, no, I'm, I, I've got my own management strategies. I'm very balanced. I think cause I grew up in a really happy home, like a really, I was very blessed. Um, so because of that, I, you know, I came from a house where you could talk about your feelings and you deal, dealt with things and my natural personality, my mum tells me this story about, um, when I was seven years old, somewhere around there, she came out of the room and I was on the phone and she's like, I didn't hear the phone ring. And I had rung one of her friends because I knew they'd had an operation. I just wanted to see if they were okay. Oh my God. And I was that little and I don't remember it. Like I remember her telling me this story and they're like, oh, we're not surprised what you're doing. I just love to sit down and have a conversation. I just find people, everyone's got a story. You were born for this job. Yeah. You are actually born for this I feel like I was. I feel like I'm in the right space and Mm. and the right place for me to do it. And then I know when someone's with me, you give them everything you've got. But when they walk out, they just have to know that you're a safe space for them if they need you. Mm. Um, But their life is still their responsibility. Mm. So you make sure you give them as many skills. You don't want them to become dependent. But in some ways, there is a bit of a, a dependency there because you're going this really intense journey with them but I just trust that I've given them everything and they know where they can go and if they need me then they they give you a buzz and you know sometimes sometimes some will tap into you 10 times more than someone else will but as long as they know you're there for them that's that's what your job is and do you do you find the like the coaching staff or the management staff at some of these clubs are like pushing players to see you or is it really just sort of like hey Jackie's there if you ever need her it's a bit of both to be honest like sometimes you know if they get in trouble or um we can see they're really struggling the coach the coaches will say look we think you need to go and sort this out and we that's what we're wanting you to do and you don't really get too much pushback and then other times they'll just drive themselves that's awesome to do it because they know you're a resource that's there right you mentioned, I just wanted, because I actually watched, I've watched a couple of clips for you. It's funny. We spoke off air about a comment <laughs> Jackie had and she couldn't remember it because it was eight years ago. So <laughs> she's got a lot of, a lot of great content on YouTube, <laughs> I must say. But, um, you mentioned you also have a clinical practice and, and obviously you spoke of yourself as a kid, but something I heard, which, cause I wanted to know like the age range you work with be, from a mental health perspective, because you, you mentioned on one of these clips that you were doing work with an 11 year old. Yeah. And. For me, that was unbelievable because at 11 years old, I never would have thought like my, my headspace then obviously in that time of, you know, life was just not really to be channeled yeah. into seeking support. Like, is that changing? Yeah. Like yeah. Are more kids, especially like with the pandemic and stuff, like, is that opening yeah, up absolutely. a whole new... I specialize clinically in eating disorders. Okay. So, you know, the youngest one I've ever seen is six. Right. 
But, you know, some of the kids that have come in have been, they're so much fun. Like, like how do you manage that? <laughs> um, how do you go from Scott Pendlebury to, yeah, a, yeah. to an 11 year old? <laughs> I had this, I had this man ring me once and he, um, the girl said, oh, there's this guy ringing about his son and he's really insistent on talking to you. I'm like, okay. So they put him through and he said, um, oh, my son got talent ID'd for, for soccer two and a half years ago. And ever since he's been ID'd, he's really struggled for motivation. And I said, okay. Um, he said, so I'm just thinking, should I bring him in? I said, well, how old's your son? And he said, four. <laughs> and I went, That's a true soccer parent. And I went, 14. And he goes, no, four. I said, oh, but you said he got talent ID. He goes, yeah. And he sent me all these clips. He was two. He was two. And he said, you know, but he's not motivated. I said, he's two. Like, <laughs> I said, he's not going to understand a conversation with me. He goes, so should I just take him to the soccer and he'll watch it? And I said, he's going to be more interested in the streamers and the seagulls oh, than my the God. actual game. Oh, so, my God. <laughs> so, yeah. So oh. you, do, you do get them come in. Very young, but I also think, you know, <clears throat> there are some kids that just, they want to be an elite athlete and, mm. and they know that you work with elite athletes and, and stuff like that. And they're like, well, that's where I should be. Some of them super switched on. So did, did some people based off that comment, did, would some people come in and not even like they're struggling, they just want to get more tools off you a to, lot of people. to get the mindset or Yeah. The and traits. that's great. That's right. great. Cause they just like, oh, this is what I want to do. And I need some help with a pathway and. Yeah, so that's a journey you go. So with how is that, how would that be different to say someone coming in saying like I you know I'm battling depression off the field or something? If someone's coming into you and go like, hey, what are some of these guys doing there? What can, what can you give me that's going to make me at 15, 16, yeah, be <clears> ready to be a pro athlete? Like, yeah, so I think the best things when when you're that age is just getting some life balance as well and making mm. sure that you know they understand education is really important. Um, <clears throat> one of the things I always say to them too is. You know, there's a line, let's say the line's 18. That's when you become an adult, where you go from being a junior to being a senior athlete. And I said, not a lot of people cross that line. And when you're a junior athlete, as much as we'll celebrate wins and good performances, everything we do below the line is helping you to get above the line. Yeah. So it's a big thing about being patient. It's about yeah. setting our foundations. I will say to a 15 year old, if you think you're the best athlete, you're ever going to be at 15, we're screwed, yeah. right? Yeah. Because your brain doesn't finish developing until you're 25. Yeah. So, and it's different for males and females, like 25 for most, but maturity wise, a bit later for boys because of testosterone mm. and other chemicals. So you've got to explain that process to them and you go through, you know, these are things you can control. This is how the sport world works. I think they all think they've got to be in their mainstream sport and talent ID'd by 15. Yeah. But we hear constant stories of athletes that don't get talent ID'd till they're 18, 19, mm. 20. And it depends the sport that you're in. If you're in gymnastics, you need to be talent ID by yeah, 15. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but if you're if you're a footballer, you don't need to be. If you're a triathlete, you're not peaking until you're sort of 26 to 32. Mm. So if you don't get into the sport until you're 20, that's completely fine. Yeah. So it's actually about helping them be really realistic with the stage that they're at. Yeah. You know, if you're <clears throat> a junior, and that's why I say to parents, great when they do, when they win, but don't think because they're not an amazing junior, they're not going to be a great senior. Mm. You can't burn them out and it's a really intense environment. So you just want to help them with that pathway and you build their skills. You know, we don't set goals obviously based on results. We go, yeah, that's where you want to be. I understand you want to be an elite soccer player or an Olympic swimmer. Let's go the steps and teach them the skills and how do you teach them routines? How do you mentally prepare for, you know, a swimming competition or, right. or a tennis match or you know, if you're going to play footy and 
they all think, you know, that elite sport works one way and it often doesn't. No. <laughs> so it's, it's sometimes breaking down some of those barriers and giving them the realities. Right. So it's almost like you take the, their headspace away from the outcome Correct. and rather focus on the process Absolutely. points that's going to trigger. Yep. Wow. That's good. That's yeah. good. Good by you, Jackie. Yeah, <laughs> I'm impressed. I think I'm doing okay at it. Yeah, I it's think you are. It's working so far. Don't, don't ruin my gear. No, I won't. I won't. <laughs> um, just given your, like, as well, obviously both living in Melbourne. So I just wanted to kind of get um, your sentiment around the pandemic in particular. Like, have you seen a growth in your field for support oh, during it? Because huge. I've seen you speak about it and the obviously, so the, big. yeah, the mental health outcomes of, of what we've all gone through. Yeah. It's the pandemic inside the pandemic. Yeah. Like, and it's, we're only now starting to see the long-term repercussions of yeah. this. It's really interesting if you read um, some research on the psychological state of somebody kept in solitary confinement. Yeah. Welcome to Melbournians. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's yeah honestly. It's really similar. Honestly, you know, yeah. we've had no stimulation. We've had nothing to look forward to. We've been stuck in a 5k radius. Like we have been so understimulated for so long that our brains have absolutely changed. Yeah. And it was really interesting last year because obviously the Melbourne Storm guys were up in a hub. Two years they've done that. But in 2020, and when we made finals, they sent some staff up and a couple of people were saying to me, we really got to look at how bad it was in Melbourne because when the staff came up, they said they just couldn't socially interact. It took two weeks for them to sort of get used to having people around again and, and they could really see it. And I'm like, yeah, that's what happens. Your brain shuts down. If you're not using all parts of it, then you're not going to be able to function the way you would normally function. Like yeah. I would describe it to people as, your brain's a bit like a house and let's say you got seven bedrooms and in, in that, in the seven rooms, one's a music room, one's a sports room, one's a science room, one's a family room, right? And in each of those rooms, every room has a um, sensor light. Mm -hmm. So if I go into the family room every day, that light is so bright. And if I go into the music room every day, that light's really bright. But if I don't go into the music room for 10 years, the room's still there but the light is not on. Mm. So I have to keep going into it regularly to keep the light on. So when people say, oh, I've got no musical talent or no sporting talent, I'm like, well, you do, the room exists. Mm. But if you're not visiting it often enough, then the light goes off mm. when you start going back into it. So people say, oh, it's amazing. I haven't played music for 10 years and I kind of have picked it up pretty quickly. I'm like, yeah, because the light's coming back on because all the instruments are still there from when you left it last time. That's crazy. So... Just the easiest way to explain Yeah, that's it. really good, actually. That triggered my mind a little bit. But um, yeah, because one, just speaking of what you're saying, and it's common a lot in my age group because you know, I'm sort of uh, into my late 20s now. And like a big sort of, you know, I feel sorry for the ones that were more so in high school, to be honest. But a big sort of um, change in our life was the, the social impact. A hundred percent. You know, going out. Going meeting people. bars, meeting people. Yep. Um, and now like the sort of, the feeling that I get from a lot of my friends is like, there's a lot more social anxiety. Like yes. People say they want to go out, but actually going out, everyone's like, oh, fuck. Yep. Yeah. I don't know if I want to. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but also, what do we talk about? We haven't done yeah, anything. I know. Like I stopped talking to a few of my friends interstate because I was like, I don't have anything to tell you. Yeah. And I didn't really want to keep hearing all the wonderful things that they were doing because oh, it just makes you feel shit. So, our, our, and that's why I say we haven't been in the social room. If you go with that analogy, we haven't been in it. Yeah. So you're going to feel awkward and uncomfortable. And, and that's why you cannot go out now and just overstimulate yourself. Yeah. You have to pace yourself. We're going to be really tired yeah. really quickly. 
So, you know, the amount of road rage that's going to happen is going to be huge because oh, yeah. people are like, oh my God, there's no traffic like six months ago. <laughs> I know, and now I do miss nothing being but... in lockdown for that. Parking yeah. was great. Yeah, it was so good. <laughs> <laughs> but no, because um, like the, I, I, to be honest, I'm so over the pandemic conversations because I feel like it's everywhere I go, but yep. you have genuine science to what you do. So that's why I'm actually interested in your opinion. Um, there's definitely higher anxiety rates, higher depression rates like yeah we're socially pulling away from people like sense of self-worth sense of purpose loss mm. of identity mm. for so many people because they haven't been working you know even if you don't like your job when you're getting a wage every fortnight every month there's a sense of purpose and okay this is where I've been and I'm at least earning something people attach a lot of their identity to their work yeah because that's you know and they've been sitting in a bedroom at home so now Family's at home, work is at home, social is at home. That is so unhealthy. Yeah. So th there's there's all those issues. The amount of couples that have separated. Yeah. We're not designed to literally live with each other. Yeah. And only each other. Yeah, I know. For that long. And so, you know, there's so many relationships that have broken up and families that have broken up because of this. So it's very, very widespread. Yeah. It's like hyper intense, isn't it? Yeah. I think just... last year I was probably doing 80 hour weeks. 80 hour weeks. And you just... Because you just, and this is where I think as a psychologist and I've spoken to a lot of colleagues, we're so exhausted. The, the focus has been on, oh, let's thank the doctors and nurses. And I'm sitting there going, oh my God, we're drowning here. Yeah. But the people that come into my job, we're, we're carers. Mm. That's so naturally what we do. And I hate seeing somebody in trouble and I hate seeing them struggle. So if someone rings and says, oh my God, I'm really doing it tough and I, I can't see anyone. I'm, you just tack them on the end of your list, but then yeah. you're starting at 7am and you're finishing at 9pm oh because you feel this sense of I've got to help because no one else can. Yeah. So you just got to try and manage yourself in that process and make sure you eat properly and exercise. And but, but that's kind of where it's been for two years now. I really need a holiday. Yeah, I bet you do. <laughs> but is this because you are Jackie Louder and you are so good or is it because <laughs> there's, nice. a, there's also a shortage in your field for support? Um, maybe there's definitely this. a shortage. Yeah. Cause that's what I've been told that in sort of the psychology space of sports psychology space, it's not yeah. too many experts no. or, you know, no, there's, there's definitely a shortage. I'll, I'll take the compliment of the first one. That's all right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's factual. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, there's just, like I said, I, I couldn't, I just couldn't in good conscience have someone on the other end of the phone in, in reaching out for help and mm. not help them. I just mm. couldn't do it. Yeah. Like i got to go home every night, put my head on the pillow, feeling really comfortable that I've done what I think is the right thing. Yeah. And walking away from someone who really needs help is really hard for me. Because you know in yourself you'll be able to help them. Yeah. Right? That's why it's worse. Yeah. So it's kind of like. Yeah. It would be much easier if, if I was like not knowing <laughs> what I'm doing. Terrible job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Given not every, and I'm, I'm not too sure if AFL is probably in this space, but has every club got a full-time resource in your space? So I'm not in full-time. Oh, um, okay, not full-time. So most clubs have a psych, but we all play really different roles in, okay. in different clubs. It depends how coaches want to set it up and clubs want to set it up. I think the way it's going is definitely going to be full-time in the I can't next. Well, on paper, it's not. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> from what I know, yeah. you're people, a full-time. Well, I always laugh, feel like, oh, how was your long weekend? I'm like, uh, what? Like, <laughs> what long weekend? It's, it's, you work, your yeah. hours are, you know, you're in sport. Yeah. So you're, you're traveling 
with them or you don't switch off caring at five o'clock. You know, all the dramas happen after, not between nine to five. They yeah, happen yeah. Out, <laughs> yeah. outside those hours. Correct. Yeah. So you're kind of always on call and it's just up to you to, to manage it. Okay. So if, if for instance, like, like for instance, I come from the soccer space, there's not really any resources, part-time, full-time. They're um, probably the the sport that is so far behind everybody uh, else. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's a shame. Mm. I mean, the, NRL is the, not too dissimilar. Like, I know I I'm just a, feel I feel like AFL is just a little bit ahead. Of oh, everyone. twenty years. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely, they are so far ahead in what's inside their clubs, and they can always keep improving. Don't get yeah. me wrong, but they're so far ahead in what's inside the club. The AFLPA has put so many resources and so much development over the last few years into mental health. The network around the country is amazing. The players have access to someone in their club or outside if they want to go outside. Mm. It is so far ahead of every everywhere else. It's kudos to them. Yeah. Um, and absolutely tragic to everyone else. I don't, I don't understand the yeah. other sports. I know. It's it's hard. I think like – I actually don't know if – I think majority of sports are really far behind the AFL yep. on that front. But if just from your point of view of what, – what do you see the real benefits of having a full-time, part-time resource in your space? Like – the perspective that you see that it actually benefits athletes. Like if you were going to sell your role into a club, yep. like what would you say the sort of benefits they're going to see from their players would be? Well, number one is we've got humans that play sport, not athletes that become humans. Yeah. So that's, that's your first right. thing. So if you can't manage your human, then you're going to get nothing out of them. So, you know, and I always say too, if, if, if you're a car and you look at the top player at your club, that they're like a Rolls Royce. Mm right? And if you think someone else at the club is going to be able to do the job that we train for 10 years plus to be able to do, if I'm paying for a Rolls Royce, I'm telling you right now, I am not getting the apprentice to look after that Rolls Royce. I'm going for the head mechanic, (laughs) right? So when you try and explain to them, it's not just people see our job and think we're just talking to people. I'm very deliberate in everything I say. I'm understanding their emotion. You, You understand, you can pick the personality, you can pick what's important. You hear things in their language someone else doesn't hear. Mm. So, and then you just, it's really easy to pick some examples of athletes from different places and say, what do you think went on there? Because you don't all of a sudden play tennis. You're not, you know, Roger Federer Mm. and you play amazing today and then you come out and you serve like shit tomorrow. You haven't lost your skill. So what's changed? Yeah, see, that's what amazes me with with sport as well, right? So it's your approach or it's how you're feeling and explaining to them, we can train this. You can actually do something about this. If you can put your ego to the side and go, it's not a weakness to not to not have these skills, but it's mm. absolutely a weakness if you don't want to address it. Yeah. So I, I think we're an outlet where we're not involved in selection. So we're a really safe space. Mm. We're bound by confidentiality. So I can't share. You can say as an athlete that you work with me, but I can't come out before that and mm. say, I work with you. Right. So, you know, there's lots of athletes I work with that no one would have any idea because that's not my information. That's right. their information. So you're a safe space for also addressing, you know, if you've had a fight with your partner yeah. and now you've got to go out and play a two-hour footy match, yeah, yeah good luck with that. Yeah, and you got to come home to it. Yeah, yeah that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. So it's giving them the balance to yeah. be able to do that. So that's kind of why we, why we need to be there. We're a safe space. Yeah, okay. That's a really good selling point. There you go. Have I done all right? Yeah, I think you've done yeah. well. Okay. <laughs> I might get a job out of this. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, speaking of the, the the storm in Collingwood, how did the, how did those opportunities come about? Was it were you like well known in this space already, or were you just putting out a lot of content? How did the dots align? Do you know what? Around? I've never really applied for a job. 
So oh really? Yeah. You got so poached. I was working. So Olympic Park Sports Medicine is at Amy Park. Yep. That's where the clinic is. And pretty much for 15 years prior, I had because I was in the building, I'd been seeing Melbourne Storm players as they needed to be right. seen. Okay. And then got to a point a few years ago, um, after the 2016 grand final, I think they lost. Yeah. Um, and it was pretty bad loss in the last few minutes and whatever it is. And then I got a phone call basically saying, look, we from Frank Panisi saying, we need to get better in this space. And we think this is our gap. Sure. Um, and we actually want you to be part of the program. Like we want to put it in now, not just send people external. Um, because then you see the ins and outs, they're there every day. Lots of the corridor conversations that you would never get if you're outside the club. Mm. And then um, I obviously have seen a lot of athletes over time. So they got a new women's GM of footy at Collingwood and she rang me and said, hey, you're working with a lot of our netballers. Just want to get a bit of a heads up on some of our players. And I didn't realise it was a job interview. I just went and had a coffee with her. And then that afternoon she's like, so I'm going to send you a contract um, really love you to look at it and stuff like that. And so I started oh, wow. with their AFLW and the netball. I've been with them. This will be my fourth year. I was going to say, mm. I thought you left a couple of teams off the roster when you said Storm at Collingwood. I was yeah. sure there was more. Yeah. So it's AFLW and, and uh, SSN netball. And then at the end of last season, coming out of a hub, um, Bucks gave me a phone call and just said, hey, I'd really, I've known him for a very long time. And he yeah. said, I'd really love you to come across to the men's program. That's like, cool. would you do this? And I had already been seeing probably seven or eight of the players anyway. Okay, so it made sense. So it was a pretty easy transition and I knew the club, I was in there. So it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't hard. Crazy world. Crazy world. Um, one of the things you mentioned before around, I guess, the, the sort of, common citizen in Melbourne with losing their job, the, the loss of identity, the loss of worth. Um, I, I, a lot of those comments you made, it kind of reminds me of the athletes coming into retirement or leaving sports. Yeah. So we've obviously spoken about you speaking to a lot of current professionals, but do a lot of ex-players pick up the phone, book appointments with you? Yeah. So my master's thesis was an athlete retirement. Right. That's always been a big area for me is transitions mm. um, because they do. When the lights go out, kind of that's – there's oh. nothing there. And that's such a huge change. And they'll never replace it. They don't need to, but they do need to find something else that can take their time. So Correct. there's yeah. a big – and this is, again, where the AFL just excel compared to other sports is once you've been on that AFL list – you have access for psychological support for as long as you need it. Oh, really? And it's covered for them. Wow. Yeah. The that's players amazing. pay a fee to the PA through their whole career, every paycheck. Yeah. And so they fund the PA. Yeah. And part of that is giving them access to psychological services beyond, because they recognize how important it is. Yeah, definitely. Is, is that like, because for me, and part of this podcast was based off my experiences in that. And one of the things that I sort of, not necessarily fell into victim mode, but I thought I suffered a bit harder because... I didn't necessarily hit all my goals and targets. Yeah. So there was like a sense of regret for not getting there. Yeah. But as I've been doing this, I've been speaking to people that have achieved what they've wanted. And, and they're they like, still struggle. No, they're like, mate, that's still the same thing. Yeah, because everybody knows you as Jake the soccer player, you yeah. know, Jim the netball, Dane yeah, the netballer yeah. type thing. And, and all of a sudden when you're not that, <clears throat> you believe that. You believe, and that's one big part of my job is saying what I said before, is you're a human being who plays footy, netball, tennis, whatever. Yeah. We need to help you manage that the whole way through is your family don't love you because you play footy. They mm. love you because you're you and they'll support you playing footy. Yeah. 
but that's what you've got to help them the whole journey to develop that sense of self so that it's an easier transition. Yeah, okay. But you're still going to struggle if you've loved something and you're hanging out with your mates every day oh, or you're traveling the world life. on the circuit. Like yeah. you choose your sport for a reason. Like the surfers get up and every day they go surfing, they get paid to do that. I know. It's insane. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. This is what I, this is why I think it's hard. And when I try and frame it this way, it's like, imagine training every day from a child to sort of your adulthood to be a professional athlete in the field you love, drop everything, give up everything, mm -hmm. sacrifice, you know, family, relationships, friends, education, then get to the point where you're a professional athlete. You, you hit all your targets and goals. You get to play in front of 80,000 people, 60,000 people, whatever it may be. And then there comes a point where you have to stop mm -hmm. and you're like born again. <laughs> it's, and the thing is, as opposed to somebody else, if I go through my career, I'm choosing to retire at 60 or 70. I don't have to get another job after that. Yeah. These guys in most sports, uh, if you get to 30 and you're still competing, you, you're a pretty decent athlete. Yeah. Right. Um, and you're very unique and, and lucky. You're in a so they have so many more years that they have to then go and find another career to fill their time. Like mm. if you're in a professional sport, football, um, NRL, tennis, golf, you've made good money. So you've probably financially set yourself up, but what are you going to do with your time? This is the thing. And that's, right? that's where that whole identity sits in. So it's not easier for them because they've been paid, but all of your Olympic athletes, they're broke. Mm. They have no money. Yeah, it's hard. It's like even when you win a gold medal, you only get a few years to enjoy, you know, the rewards of that with sponsorships and things. And then we go back and we're in another Olympiad. Yeah. So that might buy them an apartment or a car or whatever, but majority of them fund themselves. Yeah. The national sporting bodies don't have a lot of money. They fund the coaches, the trips, the experiences, but they don't pay the athletes. Yeah. So those guys are just exceptional in their own right because yeah. of the sacrifices they make. Yeah, that's true. It's funny. We had Morgan Mitchell on and she was speaking about yeah. for, for herself, like she cops criticism because she's so active off the track with, mm -hmm. you know, brand deals, sponsorships. She has to be. Yeah. But people say, well, she's not focused on her running. But when you frame it the way you do, which is what we know, like she's got to survive. Like she's got to create a future as well. It's also really interesting when people who have no training in these things, oh, she's not focused on her running. I'm sorry. Where's your experience with that? Where's your, where's your knowledge of that? Does yeah. my head Have you in. run at the Olympics? Oh my God. Like, uh, do you know this athlete? Do you work with this athlete? Like, uh, you know nothing about them. Yeah. You're sitting there in your armchair going, she's not focused. You know what? She's she can't be on the track 24 seven <laughs> sleeping in her athletic gear. Yeah, and then right. we go, she's focused, like define focused. I feel like you would be, you would get more annoyed about that than anyone so because you know everything as opposed to, you know, um, it's hard else. when you are also, when you're working with athletes and no one knows you work with them. Yeah. And I've been in so, I was at the hairdressers, like I go maybe twice a year cause it annoys me sitting down, but I was sitting there like six months ago. And these two people were next to me bagging the crap out of somebody that I'm very close with. <laughs> and I... You had to bite your tongue? I see the smoke coming out of my ears and my hairdresser who knows me reasonably well and knows what I do quickly made the connection and just went, oh, let's just go over here. I was, <laughs> I was fuming because I wanted to stand up and go, you've got no idea what you're talking about. This person is this and that's... You know, I would never, ever make a comment about someone I do not know and mm. don't have all the information. The media don't know everything. Yeah, they report what they think they know mm. and what they think they see. And what sells. And what sells. And it's so far off the mark on so many occasions. Yeah. 
And I'm sitting there trying to protect the human that I'm working with, mm. but I can't say a single thing. And yeah. it's emotionally, that's probably my biggest challenge yeah. is because, you know, these guys are a part of my life and I know them and it breaks your heart when you hear people just teeing off. And I'm like, how would you feel if that was your son, daughter, brother, Correct. sister, mother? Like, it's like the end, but the, this is when, when these false reports come out or whatever, there's no, um, there's kind of no acknowledgement of it. No. Like, it's like the damage is done, the tarnish on people, the, the impact on hum, like humans. Yeah. The media keep me in a job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, they actually do. They keep me in a job. <laughs> yeah. Because they cause so much damage yeah. with no accountability. Yeah, and no we'll, accountability. And we'll That's pick exactly up the pieces right. sometimes for very many years, but then it's not just them. Yeah. It's that person's family. It's, it's everybody attached to them. Yeah. And it's just, I'm just like... As a human being, be accountable and be responsible for what you say and what comes out of your mouth and think, I always say to people, if you wouldn't want this said to you, don't say it to somebody else. Yeah. Like it's just, that's an easy rule to follow. Yeah. If you don't want your son, daughter, mother, brother, whatever spoken about that way, don't say it about anyone else. Correct. Understand that you know nothing. Agreed. <laughs> Amen. Jackie Louder. Couldn't agree more with that. As I'll you get know. off my soapbox. Now. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just want to go back to the, the transition of the athlete because I think one thing I really struggled with, um, and this is kind of what I, what I share to some of the athletes that play now, I'm like, the way your week works, all you have to focus on is your, that Saturday, Friday performance game where you're mm -hmm. playing for points for your club. So obviously through the week, you've got preparation in, in preparing for that. Like when you lose that sort of target after post-career of something you're working towards, an objective, a pathway... That for me was like the real, like obviously the adrenaline rush as well, but that for me was like yeah. the real hard thing. That's where my discipline started to shift because yeah. there was nothing that I was building towards anymore. Yeah. And that's what we've seen in Melbourne with the pandemic. Yeah. Is no, you're not building towards anything. You're not like so many sports, they were training for training. Yeah. If you're elite, <laughs> you're training to compete. Yeah. So everyone struggles with that motivation. But yeah, when you've lost that key purpose, that's such a hard space to be in and and these guys, you know, they do spend all of that time and that's how they define themselves. And you've got to say to them, you have more purpose than just being a, you know, an athlete. Mm. Like you're a good human, you do this, you're intelligent, you're this and that. And, and that's the constant message. And if, if you can work with them and they leave their sport feeling self-value, mm -hmm. you have 100% done your job. That's awesome. Um, I'm going to give you... Actually, I'm getting nervous now. No, I was going to give you one <laughs> question from the people for the people, but, and I think I'm going to, I think I am going to do it to you. So with all the knowledge you have developed yeah, and I guess everything you've experienced with or without athletes, is there anything that I guess you wish you implemented in yourself from a younger age to help your sort of, you know, sh mental strength, mental fortitude to assist you with how the world's kind of shifting to, to accommodate change? Like wow. for, for, yeah, it's that a great question. That is a very big question. It's a huge question. But I'm just curious because like, is there a couple of things that anyone can just implement in their life to make their life significantly better? There's probably lots of things. I think, I guess if you're talking about, I don't even know if I'm answering your question here. I think for me, the thing I try and do all the time is be consistent. Mm. Like consistent with every single person. Every time you get me, you're, this is me. This is who you're going to get. So you know what you're getting when you come in. Um, if I'm consistent with how I express myself, how I go about things, then <clears throat> you, you've probably got more control. Yeah. Um, 
but in terms of being able to put things in, I think surround yourself with good people who are going to support your journey. My job is not, I don't tell athletes what to do. Yeah. I say to them, here's another way of looking at it, but if they choose to go another way, that's okay. I'll support that because I know I've given them as much info as I can and that's their journey and my job is to be there with them on, on that journey. So I think mm. saying to people, put good people around you, listen. I think too many people, they they hear with the, with the intent to respond, whereas I listen to understand. Yeah. I think, I think there's a big difference. Yeah. So if you can, you know, we've got two ears and one mouth. So maybe the ratio should be a little more to the ears and <laughs> yeah. a little less to the mouth. That's a good one. So that way, if you're then listening to, to actually understand rather than to respond, mm. I think you're probably going to have better conversations and better relationships and, and you're probably going to be more controlled with how you respond to things. That's awesome. Does that uh, answer your yeah, question? Yeah, it does. It does. No, because one of the reasons why I asked that is because like, a lot, as I've gotten older, people talk about, you know, journaling, setting goals, maybe doing some sort of mindfulness exercises, things like that. When as a kid, like none of the, I wasn't implementing sort of any habits to enhance my mental health yeah, right. or like my mental sort of strength. So when things happened, I had nothing to fall back on. It was just like just going through the washing machine of yeah. life and like getting back well, up. Talking is, is so underrated. Yeah. Like I think talking and, and that's where you say to, to parents or anyone in the support team, like talk, yeah. you know, don't just, I, I don't like one answer responses. How are you? Okay. How does that mean? Mm. Like, you know, make sure you have a conversation, take the time to have the conversation that sets you up pretty well because then you'll just keep talking. Right. Jackie, you know, I love you. I'm so <laughs> glad you came on. This Thank has been you. such an insightful chat. And I actually think this is going to be a great episode for anyone, anyone that's tuned in. Love or hate sport. Jackie's a, a wizard in this space. And honestly, a, a lot of great um, insight into how you can enhance your own sort of brain and uh, mental health to, to make life better. So in a difficult time, thank you so much for giving us your pearls of wisdom. Thanks for being patient with me. <laughs> <laughs> I promise you. I'll respond in less than nine months. Yeah, I know, right? No, it's a pleasure. Thank you again. No worries. Are you a podcaster? Maybe you've got that big idea and you're looking for a network to join. The multi-award winning Ozcast Network can get your content to eyes and ears all over the world. Join now for the first month free and you could be featuring this sound at the beginning of your podcast. Ozcast. Simply head to ozcastnetwork.com for details.